Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Well, this morning we're continuing a series we began last week, taking an honest and upfront and very frank and open look at our sexuality, and particularly what God had in mind. And uh, needless to say, I've had a number of interesting conversations this week. <laughs> you know, and some of us are like, well, okay, yeah, like you're talking to the teens and the young singles, right? I said, no, this is for all of us. This is for all of us. Because it's really at the heart of who we are and, and really at the heart of how God created us and what his intention and what his design. Um, so we're continuing in that series this morning. We're going to be looking at this all month long. Um, and today we're going to talk about setting moral boundaries, setting your sexual boundaries. And I want to just start with this statement very much up front, right? With your, let's start all together. Let's understand this. Everybody has sexual boundaries. Everybody does. Everyone in this room. Everyone not in this room. Everybody has some idea that there's some line somewhere that I'm not supposed to cross. Now, where you set that boundary and how you arrived at that, that might be very, very different. But everybody's got these boundaries. Sometimes they're set just self-imposed. This is as far as I'm going to go. Some people might set them just by what culture leads to. And we, and we all agree, even, even as a culture, even as a society, legally, we say there is a certain point where, okay, that's too far. Okay, that's too far. Where we set the line, that is too far. We as a society agree on that, and that's punishable stuff, okay? We all have boundaries. The issue isn't if you have standards or if you have limits. It's where have you set them, and how did you get to that place? And then most importantly, how well do you live within the boundaries you've established? And the real question is, Will we buy into the standards and the boundaries of our culture that are constantly being pushed upon us? Or, or will we bring our lives in alignment with the intent of the God who created us and loves us? Because what we do with our sexuality shapes who we are. And we all know that there's a lot of room between holding hands and engaging in sex, okay? There's a lot of room in there. So where do you draw that line? How do you draw that line? Well, Paul wrote a letter to a church in a city called Thessalonica. Still there today. Still there today. And he wrote these words to them. First Thessalonians chapter 4, he says, We instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know that instructions we gave you by the authority of Jesus Christ. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who don't know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or sister and take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for such sins, as we've already warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject men, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Paul said there's a way that you can set those boundaries. And you get some really, really clear, clear guidelines on that. That when it comes to setting your moral boundaries, when it comes to setting your sexual boundaries, where you start is you start within the larger context. You frame the boundaries that you set for your life within the larger context of your whole life. 
you got to step back from this one area and take a look at my whole life. Who is it that I want to be? Because we, we talked about this extensively last week. Our culture keeps telling us it's just physical. It's just physical. It doesn't mean anything. And we treat it as if it's, as if it's a board game that we take out and play at night and then put away until we want to play with it again. And cl- it's clear from Scripture that is not, that is not what God's design is. And our culture, see, what, what our deepest longing is, our deepest longing is plo- close personal connection. Our deepest longing is for intimate, intimate closeness. That's our deepest longing. And what our culture and our society tells us is the way that you get that is through sex. What our culture doesn't tell us is we all know better. Yes, sex can help and enhance and deepen intimacy, but it is a promise it cannot fulfill on its own. And our culture really knows that. We know that deep down inside. I mean, we don't need, we don't need any scripture to tell us that. We all know that. We all know that. It is something far deeper. And sex in itself cannot provide the intimacy that we are truly longing for on its own. And we see glimpses of that. In fact, the little, from that great, great bastion of morality and ethics, the Seinfeld show, okay? <laughs> Let me just show you a little clip. This is maybe about 10 years old, but just take a look at this. Why shouldn't we be able to do that once in a while if we want to? I know! I mean, really, what is the big deal? We go in there... We're in there for a while, and we come back down here. It's not complicated. It's almost stupid if we didn't. It's more loving. Absurd. Of course, I guess maybe some little problems could arise. Well, there are always a few. I mean, if anything happened and we couldn't be friends the way we are now, that would really be bad. Devastating. Because this is very good. And that would be good. That would be good, too. (laughs) The idea is to combine the this and the that. But this cannot be disturbed. We we, we just want to take this and add that. But, of course, we'd have to figure out a way to avoid the things that cause the little problems. Maybe some rules or something. Huh. For example, (laughs) now I call you whenever I'm inclined and vice versa. But if we did that, we might feel a certain obligation to call. Uh, Well, why should that be? Oh, I have an idea. I have an idea. No calls the day after that. Beautiful. Let's make it a rule. All right, sir. Now, here's another little rule. Yeah. When we see each other now, we retire to our separate quarters. But sometimes when people get involved with that, they feel pressure to sleep over. When that is not really sleep. Sleep is separate from that. And I don't see why sleep got all tied up and connected with that. Okay, okay. Rule number two, spending the night is optional. 
Well, now we're getting somewhere. Sex always complicates the relationship. It always does. And our society knows that. Our culture knows that. We won't admit it. But it's the dirty little secret that we think we can just keep it physical and it's not going to affect anything else. And the truth is, and our society knows, it always makes it more complicated. It always does. And that's why God made it very, very clear over and over and over again. Jesus said it. God said it at the beginning. Paul emphasized it. A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one. He says, there's a deeper oneness that happens here. There's a more important thing that's going on here, and you need to understand that. Now, Paul writes this letter to this church in Thessalonica, and you need to learn a little bit of cultural background here, because Thessalonica was like the capital of its time. And it was on the main thoroughfare of, of the Roman Empire, from Rome to Egypt. It was a very cosmopolitan area, a lot of different religions. And along with religions came a lot of other stuff. They have unearthed in Thessalonica um, ancient temples to Egyptian gods. And a big part, a big part of the culture and the, and the religion of the time involved fertility gods and the way that you please the fertility gods and all that stuff. And they had temple prostitutes. You know, it's, it's no big deal. I just went to church, you know, I just, Come home, have lunch, take a nap, you know, no no big deal. And Paul's looking at this and saying, how do I address this with these people who are coming from a background that is so widely different than what God had in mind? How do I address this issue with this church? How do I write to them about what they're practicing and what their practices have been and how they've been raised and give them a different standard? How do I help them draw the line? And what does he do? He starts at the beginning in the larger framework. He says, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. He sets sexuality in the framework of the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is that you would bring your life in line with God. That you would learn to see things from his perspective. That you'd see the bigger picture. So he goes on in verse 3. He says, It is God's will that you should be sanctified and that you should avoid sexual immorality. Now, I know the natural reaction, people hear words like holy and righteous and sanctified, and it just conjures up all these kinds of pictures of of repressed, uptight, you know, strict, you know, sour-faced people. (laughs) And, And we hear that word, and that's what it conjures up. But that's not... That's not what, what, what Paul's trying to convey. See, it is bringing my life into alignment with the God who loves me. It is aligning myself with the morals and standards of the God who created me and knows me intimately. It is to do things the right way. That's what it means to be holy and sanctified and righteous. It's to be doing things the way God always intended. The truth is, it's for our own good. Now, just for a moment, think about that. Think about that. What if, what if just, what if our whole society, our culture, what if we all, all of us in this world, all decided to do this God's way? 
I mean, just, you know, just take the Bible out, take everything out. What if we just all decided to do it the way God intended it to be? Just think about what that world would be like. For one thing, you would have a lot less, a lot less spam in your email box. <laughs> Over half the World Wide Web would go offline. There would be no adultery, no rape, no date rape. There'd be no problems with sexual abuse, sexual harassment. There would be no molestation of children, no incest, no STDs, no AIDS epidemic that is leaving millions, millions of African children without parents. There would be no mothers without husbands. No children left wondering who their father is. It would be a very different world if we all just decided to do it God's way. See, God doesn't establish the boundaries to harm us or to keep us from enjoying life. He's saying this is the way it's designed to work. So set your boundaries in that larger context of your whole life. Clearly, God's way is far healthier and far superior than the way our culture is doing it. I mean, that's just, that's a no-brainer. Just look around. We know the way we're doing it isn't working. So establish boundaries within the larger culture, uh, larger context of who you are. And then, here's the other thing. Here's a really important thing. When you establish your boundaries, you establish your sexual boundaries in advance. You do it ahead of time, okay? You do it before there is not enough blood left in your brain to think clearly. <laughs> you do it in advance. That's what he says. Look at next verse, verse 3. He says, you should avoid sexual morality. Each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust. What is he talking about? He's talking about boundaries. He's talking about limits. He's talking about standards. He's talking about self-control for our own good. When I was a kid, our family would go camping. And, uh, you know, when you get to the campsite, one of the first things we do is make sure, you know, you build a campfire, right? Because, you know, it's going to be dark soon, and you want the light, you want the warmth. And so, you know, we would take, a, my dad would, you know, we'd all go out and gather rocks, and we'd, you know, kind of build them in a circle, dig a little bit of a pit, you know, put all the rocks, make sure everything, all the brush was cleared from around where the rocks were, you know, where we were going to sit, and then, you know, stoke up the fire and light it and everything, and it was great. Provided warmth, provided light. Oh, man, sitting around the campfire at night, man, that's one of the coolest things in the world. And then one of the other things we would do is we'd roast marshmallows. You know, we were little kids, you know, so you put like one, two, three marshmallows. I want to see how many marshmallows I can roast at one time. You know, I got like five marshmallows on the stick. And I'm, and I'm a little kid, so I'm sticking it in there, and, it, and, you know, and I'm pulling it out, and they're not really getting brown. They're not really toasting. So maybe if I put them in a little bit further, you know, and I do that, and I pull them out, and uh, then I put them all the way, and then all of a sudden be like flame on, you know? And now I got like I'm Indiana Jones. You know, I got a torch. I'm running around the campfire. Oh, this is cool. Then get back here with that thing. Why? Because fire contained, boundaried, is a really, really good thing. Fire that's out of control, that's devastating. It's destructive. There's boundaries for your good. 
Because you see, there's always more at stake than what you are thinking about in the moment. There is always more at stake than you think about at the time. And to think, to think that all risk is eliminated by use of a condom is absolutely absurd. Hey, I went through seventh grade health. You know, we had sex ed when I was a kid. And when they went through all the birth control options, this was the worst one. And now our society says, that's the answer. Wear a condom. No risks. Everything's fine. That is absolutely absurd. Absolutely absurd. Because the risks are not just physical. Even if you could protect yourself physically, the risks are emotional. They are relational. They are psychological. Ask any counselor or therapist you know. Ask any one of them about the correlation between psychological health and ethical and moral decision-making. And ask them how many times sex has messed up people's heads. So you got to start with the belief. You got to start with the belief that self-control is possible. <laughs> it's a strong drive. I understand that. But it can be controlled. Now, I didn't say it's easy, but you got to start with the belief that self-control is possible. Because that's going to be the basis of establishing your boundary. So then well, okay, well then how far is too far? You know, where do I set that boundary? If I'm going to do that, how do I set that? I mean, like I said, there's a whole lot of difference between holding hands and, you know, engaging in sex. What, what, how, you know, where do you draw the line along that whole continuum? Because, see, we would all agree. I think every one of us in this agree, room would agree. We should all avoid sexual immorality. The problem is we all think what I'm doing is not immoral. Immoral is what the other people are doing, not me. Where do you draw the line? It's interesting because Paul uses a word in here for sexual immorality. The word is porneo. That's the Greek word. It's where we get our English word pornography. In other words, anything, any sex or sensuality that is beyond the scope of what God intended is immoral. Now, yeah, there is a long continuum in there. And that's not saying, okay, we go all the way back to just holding hands. But it is saying there are some considerations you need to make. It has to do with your maturity. It has to do with, with um, who you are. It has to do with who the other person are. And here's, this is just Ken, Ken Jensen, okay? I'm not giving you this as scripture. But here's what it says. Here's what I would say. One of the things you really got to think about is your ability to control yourself. Because wherever you set that line, it better not be beyond that point. And understanding your own vulnerability. I think another thing you need to take into account is your intent. Where do you want this to go? Because that's a really big thing about where you're going to set that line. Your personal responsibility. And, and I think you need to think about the impact and effect it's going to have on another person. As far as you go in that relationship, what am I saying to this other person? Am I leading them in a place that I shouldn't be leading them? Am I leading myself in a place I shouldn't be going? See, those are the kinds of things. 
And wherever you set those boundaries, wherever you set those boundaries, it's important that you set the boundary with extra margin. <laughs> you know, the, uh, we were up in Tahoe this summer uh, on vacation, and all around Tahoe there are signs of, you know, do you have defensible space, okay? That's what we're talking about here, defensible space. Because, see, we all have this tendency. It is a human nature to live at the limits, we live right on the edge. So if I set my boundary here, the chances are I'm going to live right up to it. Right? Don't we? What's the speed limit on the freeways? 65 miles an hour. How fast do you drive? 68, 670, what? Why? Because we think that's the minimum speed. No, that's the maximum. It says on the sign, maximum speed, 65 miles per hour. But we live at the edge. You make a doctor's appointment for 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Do you show up at 2 o'clock? No. You show up at 2.30? No. You show up at 10 to 2? No. At 2 o'clock, you're driving around trying to get a parking spot, and you're hoping you're going to be able to get in the room before he cancels your appointment because you're more than five minutes late. You know what time Sunday morning services start. Yeah. We all know it's 9.30 and 11. When do you show up? I don't know. Now you're getting personal, okay? Because we live at the limits. We talked about this a couple of months ago. Setting boundaries and margins so you got defensible space. So when you set the limits, you need to think about that. You need to set limits that give you room so that if, if, in the heat of a moment, in the passion and embrace, you tend to go past your limit. There are no huge consequences because here's the deal. You go a little bit over the speed limit, there's no great consequences. You get a ticket, you pay a fine. Maybe it goes on your record if you get too many of them. But there's no huge consequences. You violate your sexual boundaries and limits, the consequences can be huge. And so you need to set the boundary back from the edge back from the edge. Here's a guiding principle. Paul goes on. He says, control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, and in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. In other words, there are two people involved in this. And I think a really, really good rule of thumb, a really good principle is, okay, how far should I go? How far do I want the person I will eventually marry to have gone? just before I met them. It's kind of the golden rule principle, really. How far would you want the person that you eventually make a life covenant with to have gone? Where would you have wanted them to set their line? Now, I'm going to speak to you this morning. If you are a teenager here with us this morning, or, or a young adult, and you are not sexually experienced, set your line and set it firmly and set it in a place that if in the moment of passion and all of that, you, you, you get over the line, do it in such a way that you've got a lot of room in there so that you don't absolutely violate the limit. Set it back far enough. And here's the second thing. Some of you, and I know because I, I know our culture. There are some in this room, you are single, never been married, but you have been sexually active. We have people who are divorced or widowed. And I'm going to tell you this morning, this is going to be hard, but you might have to set your limit back even further. 
Because you've got experience. And you know what leads to what for you. And you need to take that into account. And don't, don't ever allow somebody else's lack of boundaries force you past your own. Set it for yourself and set it firmly and set it with a buffer so that you protect yourself. And then let me say one more thing. If you are married, I understand. Putting a ring on your finger does not change temptation. You got to set boundaries too. In fact, all the more so. And the kind of boundaries you should be setting as a married person is that I will never get myself involved in any inappropriate flirting. I will not put myself in circumstances where I am alone with a member of the opposite sex. I will not build emotional relationships and attachments that are inappropriate and should be the kind of attachment I should have with my spouse. Those are the kind of limits you've got to set. You've got to do these for your own protection and for the protection of your wife and your husband. And if you are single, your future wife or husband. Because that's the deal. It doesn't just involve you. There's a whole other person involved. And there are families and there are friendships and there is your future to think about. And it's all part of the bigger package. So if you're married, here's the question to ask yourself. Where would you want your spouse to be drawing the line? What level of comfort would you have if they were drawing the line where you're drawing it right now? See, the goal and the objective that God has for us is not technical chastity, which is actually a very popular term these days. I don't know if you've heard that before. There's no penetration, still chastity. We live in a culture where the majority of teenagers surveyed do not consider oral sex to be sex. I don't get that. (laughs) But that's our culture. And I know, and I know, some of you are thinking, but what if I've gone too far? There's always forgiveness. You can always step back from the line. You can always, re- now it might, it, you might have to, I mean, it might be changing a relationship. It might be breaking off a relationship. Then maybe you're a couple and you've been going a little bit too far. You got to agree together. Okay, we got to back off here because this is not right. And it's not good for either of us. Because what God designed and what God intended was not technical chastity, but purity. That's what Paul ends the whole thing. He says, God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. He wrote to the Ephesian church, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us. So let there be no sexual immorality or impurity or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. See, we're asking the wrong question. When we are saying, how far can I go without crossing the line? That's the wrong question. The right question is, where do I draw the line to keep myself pure? Where do I set my limits so I can consider myself honorable and righteous? That's the question. And that might be setting it way, way back than where it is right now. 
But you've got to understand, and I tried to emphasize this last week, what God designed and how he made us and the way that he designed it to work is for our good. And what it really comes down to is, do I really believe that that's what God has intended for me? Do I really trust that God knows what's good for me? Or will I do it my own way? Every one of us makes that choice. And every one of us will live with the consequences. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California. 